Welcome to Weekend at Crombies. In episode 12, we'll be looking at seconds. Welcome to episode 12 of Weekend at Crombies. I am Dr. James Evans, Esquire. I have seen Santa Claus. And I'm Hugh Morgan. The question of death selection may be the most important decision in your life. Welcome back, dear reader. I'm, of course, not James Evans. That was but a cunning ploy we played through the magic of radio. Indeed. We exchanged places, much as the film we're about to look at exchanges places. So without... And it's not vice versa. It's or not big. Vi- not crushingly disappointed. It's not vice versa or big or Freaky Friday. Uh, no, or any, any of those. Or, or the other Freaky Friday. <laughs> it's the least well-known of all of those films. Let us, without further ado, look at the least well-known of all the body swap comedies. Seconds. Yes. So, so James, seconds. would you like to kick off into what Seconds is all about? Not yes, a second course of pudding, which, again... I have enjoyed this evening. Indeed, and I've had my second glass of mulled wine. It's the Christmas is... episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is the Christmas episode, and we've chosen a science fiction stroke horror film. Um, I don't think there's any stroke because... about it. <laughs> 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 let's just let's uh, just be quite clear about that. <laughs> okay, a science fiction horror film. There we go. Is that better? Yes. So, uh, James's seconds. continued attempts to, to, to just scar my my, my mentality. <laughs> <laughs> continues unabated right up to Christmas. He is uh, he's insisted we watch seconds. Yeah. yeah. So the, I mean, these, the, all of these films that I've chosen as part of Weekend at Grommets are just part of the psyche of film that I enjoy watching. So I can't help it. This this is who I am, and perhaps um, I can't escape from who I am. Um, so the film Seconds. Um, it's a film by John Frankenheimer, mm. um, and it stars. The Hollywood heartthrob Rock Hudson um, and a number of other um, kind of character actors of the 50s and 60s. We start with um, Arthur Hamilton, who is a middle aged bank manager walking through what I think is probably Grand Central Station. Yeah, in New York. Yeah, um, certainly a large kind of uh, metropolitan station anyway. Being followed, what it looks like, by a kind of suspicious, shady character who's following him as he goes through the the station onto the platform, onto the train. Um, and at the point at which he, uh, this uh, Arthur Hamilton character, um, uh, gets onto the train, this the person who's been following him touches him on the shoulder and says, Arthur. He then replies. And he's given a little note. Um, and the, lo- the note is a, a, an address, I think. And we don't know anything about this. We don't know what's going on at the moment. And then we follow Arthur on the train as he's journeying home to kind of um, suburban New York. And he's met by his wife and they travel back to their house. And they have a, 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 a what, what can only be described as a fairly asinine conversation about their child, who they don't see very often, um, the fact that she's getting married, he doesn't particularly like him, etc., etc. It's that yeah. kind of kind of domestic conversation yeah. that, that everybody has 
and nobody really cares nobody's listening yeah. but it's part of the kind of process so what we get quite quick quickly drawn is arthur hamilton he's middle-aged he's in sort of middle management he's he commutes mm. in and out of new york to the suburbs he doesn't really connect with his wife he doesn't really connect with his children he and he is very very hanged on and he cracks a smile ever he's very basically yeah. going through the motions in his life there's that one thing where a mysterious man gives him a slip of paper which is the one different thing that happens and it transpires that what is disturbing him is he's getting phone calls from a, a good friend of his from from college who he who we thought was dead who apparently is dead but he's clearly yeah. not he's having conversations and i don't think it's made clear what these phone calls are about but they're clearly disturbing arthur he's, he's up until two o'clock in the morning about that he stays awake at night and this is basically we don't know what's going on but we know he has a choice to make because he's pondering over it and basically having his friend charlie who he's calling him yeah. um is saying you know if you've got to do this this is your last chance you've got to do this right now and that's where yeah, it's, it, yeah. It, it's fairly discombobulating at that point in time because as you say you don't really know what's happening there's been no um exposition of, of the kind of context of the the story yeah. um and but what you see is arthur hamilton is sweating he's stressed he's clearly got a very big decision to make um and his friend charlie who as you say he thinks he's dead um is getting these phone calls from him in the end what happens is that um hamilton decides to um go to uh, the address that this person slipped him uh, this little note he so he basically agrees that, yeah, OK, I'm going to go to this particular venue that Charlie has been recommending that he goes to. Um, so he turns up to uh, like a dry cleaning shop um, uh, the, the following day, having left work, clearly um, distracted uh, by the idea that he has to get to this particular place by about midday yeah. or the opportunities lost. So you know, he's got a meeting with someone who obviously wants a loan and he's not paying any attention and he just walks off. Um, he's obviously made the decision. He walks off, goes to this dry cleaning place and nobody um, listens to him at this dry cleaning place. They don't really know what he's talking about, except they do. And they say that effectively this particular um, organisation has moved offices. So he then goes to this other place, which is a meatpacking um, factory, yeah. which, again, you know, it's obviously a front for some um, kind of illicit or clandestine organisation. And you go through the kind of... Um, the, the freezers with all of the um, the animal kind of carcasses hanging up and through the, the alleyways, etc. The whole thing has the feel of him trying to get into like a speakeasy. First he goes to one place, then he goes to another. Yeah. He has to ride in the back of a meat van in the dark. And he finally comes yeah. out into this almost like a doctor's waiting room. It's fairly palatial, but it's it's all closed doors and, and, and no noise from the corridors, which is when he finally meets the person he's due to have an appointment yeah. with. And it's very Kafkaesque as well, I think, at that particular yeah. time. So, you know, it's very clandestine. It's, it's very dense in terms of what, what, what we're expecting to happen. And at this point, Hamilton still doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. But he's given, he a, he's no... given a, a cup of tea and a sandwich to wait, which he unwisely <laughs> yeah. consumes. Yeah, which he consumes and then seems to pass out. And then there's a very strange sequence where it, it looks as though he is dreaming um about um uh, assaulting a woman effectively um in in a bedroom um uh, but it's it's very kind of macabre and grand guignol in its kind of presentation so we, you know we think it's a dream effectively yeah he then wakes up doesn't know where he is is about to leave walks into a room full of people who are 
what looks like waiting around for something to happen. Um, they're either listening to the radio or they're making notes or they're on telephones, but it's all very subdued and it's all quite creepy. It's a bit Stepford Wives type um, kind of perspective to know what's going on. He's called back, a nurse finds him, he's called back, and then he's taken into a room um, and he's introduced to the company, which is the organisation that he has walked into, and he's introduced to um, Mr Ruby, um, again, a, a kind of uh, 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 almost a comedic character who we are we are given the impression that he assumes that Hamilton knows what's going on. But I don't think that's true. I think it's part of the discombobulation of making Arthur Hamilton feel like he doesn't know what's happening and then ultimately to go ahead with whatever it is that they decide they need to do. Well, I think, um, I'll, I'll, I think Hamilton does know what he's getting into to some extent because he introduces himself as Miss, I'm Mr. Wilson, um, mm. which again is not his name, but oh, will, will become yeah, clear. So I think yes. he, um, essentially we when we join the film, um, Mr. Ham- uh, Hamilton has already had one phone call that it's explained what the, what the layout is, and we mm. join him agonising over his decision and taking the course of action. So we're in the dark, even if he is not completely in the dark. I don't think he was expecting the cup of tea, though. Um, <laughs> no, so okay. he knows what he's getting into, he just kind of doesn't know how he's getting into it. And this is where, because when uh, Mr. Ruby sits down and says, right, the most important thing to talk about is your death, let's get your death yeah. right. Um, yeah. And then he doesn't quite flinch at it, but he's like, okay, let's talk about this then. So he's, and the this is where we get to the crux of the matter is that um, he has uh, solicited the services of this agency who uh, essentially turn people into reborns. Um, so they, they get a real cadaver, which they, they remove any identifying features, any fingernails, uh, fingertips, uh, fingerprints um, or teeth or anything like that. Um, and they turn that cadaver into this person who they want to replace. They then fake his death in a fire or an explosion or something, and this existing person, I guess, cashes in all his money, gives the company a cut of it, gives his wife, or his widow, and his um, children and dependencies their cut, and takes the rest and goes off to live an entirely new life, given surgery and physical therapy and all this kind of stuff to be reborn into what he truly wants to be. Um, yeah. And in this instance, he's reborn as Rock Hudson. He's reborn as Rock Hudson. Yeah. So uh, it speeds to it. They, they do then. They do then show as, as they're taking him through this. They then also show him the film of him ravishing um, this this young lady who was an employee of the company as kind of a, a no way out clause. They either release this film because it really happened. They really drugged him and they really made him think he was ravishing someone. Um, yeah. So he's, he's got no way out, which is a, a interesting way to solicit clients. But. He eventually signs his soul away. I think, that, again, there's a, an old man um, who's apparently the owner of the company gives him that final push. It's a very kind of Faustian pact where he, he talks him into how you do this. Yeah. He signs his soul away, and then he goes through this process of um, physical surgery, physical therapy, um, you know, all his assets, his, his body is faked and gone, all his assets are distributed, and yeah, when the bandages come off, he's no longer a um, hangdog, saggy, middle-aged man. He's Rock Hudson. <laughs> He's a Hollywood superstar. Yeah. I mean, it's to the extent that he's even given a new profession as uh, an artist. Yeah. And he has been, um, he's, he's got qualifications from some of the best art schools in the country. He um, is a not massively successful, he's been given the kind of um, image of not being a massively successful artist, but someone who's well known enough for him to be able to build on that minor reputation so he doesn't have to start from scratch. Yeah, this this was the um the, the reason he became an artist was because they 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 put him under some kind of um truth serum and he released yeah. his deepest desire to be an artist. And I think the idea was they've established him in the community as an established artist. So when he comes out 
painting like crap, it'll be seen as a, a, a different branch a rather style. than yeah, rather than this guy can't paint, um, which is yeah. quite a clever way of establishing an artist. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they they fly him off to California where his his new apartment is waiting for him. He's got his new artist studio. He's got a, he's got a butler, a butler um, who again is a part of the company who's there to settle him in. And he's and again they 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 state this out point blank. You have been given what every middle aged man wants: yeah. freedom from responsibilities and a chance to be reborn. Yeah, and um, he uh, he a series of montages, I guess, really of him yeah. um, trying to get get involved in doing his painting and kind of rattling around the house. And he's got the butler who is um, who is uh, John, yeah. um, who's continually persuading him. Perhaps you should host a dinner party for the um, residents of the kind of complex that yeah. he's. Um, living in and you know rock the rock hudson character who's called tony wilson um says no you know all in my own time that's absolutely fine and it's the first inclination that perhaps something isn't quite right that perhaps he doesn't quite feel as fulfilled as he thought he would so he ends up going on these long thoughtful walks on the beach and he meets um he meets a a woman uh called nora who um they spark up a connection with, I guess, really. Um, they are quite melancholic in their way that they um, kind of talk to each other. They spark up a relationship. Um, they go back to her house and they talk about um, who they are, um, their backgrounds, their histories, but obviously not their real or not his real histories at this particular point in time. Yeah. And they start a relationship effectively. They they, yeah. they warm to each other and they become... Um, uh, close. Hmm. Although we will say, up to this point, having been given apparently everything he wants and freedom, Tony Wilson has displayed not even cracked a smile. He's he's no, mostly he wanders around in a daze, like oh this is my life, this is what I get, and yeah. he's, he's not kind of you know running around. Yeah, I'm free. I'm a young man. I'm like Rock Hudson. Yeah. He is mostly just oh okay, I'm just not ready yet. Let me you know. He's like yeah. the, the the butler's telling him let's have a party when I'm ready. Um, so he's yeah. not really relishing his his reborn life. And again, yeah, and and, and the appearance of Nora is at least someone who brings him out of his shell a little bit because he, he connects yeah. with her. Um, and, and, then, and then we come to a point in the film, which is an interesting one to discuss in the analysis. Nora invites him to a party um, that gets yeah. pretty wild, which is basically an extended vineyard scene where a lot of people um, firstly collect grapes and then they put all yeah. the grapes in a, in a, in a big tub and then one person takes all their clothes off and squashes them and then everyone takes yeah. their clothes off and squashes them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. uh, in- including Nora, um, who's jumping up and down, um, saying life doesn't matter or something like that. Uh, and yeah. Tony initially tries to to get away from this, but then he he gets in the tub with the rest of them, and he's, he's, involved, he's covered it? with yeah. squishy grapes, and uh, and Nora falls into his arms. It's the he kind of like lets out a scream of, of release, and it's actually the first time he thinks has he actually settled into into what he yeah. wants to be. Apparently covered in grapes. The, the bacchanalian vineyard um, uh, grape squashing scene is is. is <laughs> Possibly the the first point where he thinks actually maybe it can be Tony Wilson and not Arthur Hamilton anywhere yeah. uh, anymore. Um, yeah. So so that kind of that's the spark of him maybe engaging himself a little bit more in his local community of artists and and uh, professional successful professional individuals. Yeah. And he does decide to host a um, a dinner party for the local um, uh, residents in the complex that yeah. he lives in. Although more, more of a cocktail party, yeah. more of a cocktail party than a dinner. Very little dinner is consumed. Very little but, dinner is consumed. Yeah. A lot of alcohol is yeah. Turns out Tony but, Wilson is not a great host and spends yeah. most of his time slamming back martinis, getting really drunk and saying less less appropriate things. Um, 
to, to everyone. I think Nora's saying, let's just get rid of all these people and go to bed. And he's like, I'm fine, I'm doing great. And yeah. essentially, he can't really keep a lid on his personality as Tony Wilson and keep saying things like, um, like he meets one of the people who went to Harvard and his previous existence, Arthur Hamilton, went to Harvard. Um, yeah. He's going, I went to Harvard, but not anymore. I don't go anymore. And yeah. this That's not wink, wink. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it turns out, rather than being confused by this weird drunk, most of the guys at the party are like given in the stink eye, as in like shut up, shut up, shut up, yeah. and it and as he gets drunker and drunker and try and blurts out more and more things and gets more and more, basically conflicted trying to keep in this this new identity and the old identity, um, he's essentially thrown on the bed because he's drunk and all the guys crowd around him saying that they're reborns as well and he's basically breaking the omerta that you don't talk about your past life and so rather than confusing or revealing his secret, he's actually kind of breaking the unspoken pact that all these people who were reborn. I'd supposed to keep a lid on that and not not regret their decision. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, so there's there's a bit of a, a problem, shall we say? Yeah. And the next scene is him in the morning, you know, profoundly hungover, yeah. um, and he, he's kind of made the decision that actually he doesn't like his new life. Yeah, he does get it a call. Sorry, he gets a call from his old friend Charlie at this point, um, yeah. who's almost like his unofficial oh, yeah. handler, because um, he's the one who recruited him. And Charlie basically says, whatever you are, stay put, sit tight, yeah. they'll get to you. The next shot is him going to the airport. Uh, so he's, yeah. he's completely disregarded that. And yeah, he's not happy with his life. And he does go back to his old house and is effectively the widow of Arthur Hamilton to talk to her. Yeah, he does. He goes back, obviously, as Tony Wilson. And he goes back pretending that Tony Wilson and Arthur Hamilton, although not close friends, shared... Uh, a closeness toward the end of Arthur Hamilton's life mm. where um, he showed an interest in Tony Wilson's art. And it's an opportunity for Tony Wilson stroke Arthur Hamilton to go back to his wife for what might be one last time to real, to kind of have a conversation with her, to understand what she thought about Arthur Hamilton, yeah. what that means for him, that context as well. And it's quite a melancholic scene because she obviously says that, you know, Arthur Hamilton, he was a good man. Um, but he was quite distant and um, you know wasn't emotional, etc. Yeah, I don't think again. I I wouldn't call it a funny scene, but it is. No, it is. It's, it's no. almost. It's almost. It has that kind of ironically funny because it, you'd expect you know this. He was with you know, his wife of kind of twenty, thirty years. She's effectively his widow now. If you know, you think someone talks to her, she'd be you know wearing black and, and dabbing her eyes yeah. and saying, "I'm so sad." She's going. Not, she's saying basically, "We didn't get on that well. He, he was all right. Yeah. He stuck around. I don't think he was ever yeah. did what he wanted to do." You know, and so she's yeah. quite happy with her life now. In fact, she's been. Well, she, she's quite honest as well. I think yeah. that's the point. Isn't yeah. it? She's. She's. She actually, it looks like she's doing all right for herself, yeah, yeah. but she's also honest about him as well, that he probably just wasn't very happy yeah. with her and his life in general. Yeah, and yeah, and he, she kind of reaffirms what he was doing, that he was sleepwalking through his life, um, and which is a bit of a slap in the face to Tony. I think probably he was expecting, as maybe the audience was, to find a distraught woman saying, oh, I do miss Arthur Hamilton, he was wonderful, and she's like, well, you know, I get by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, um, which so, actually uh, is is that almost um, bathos is is a very appropriate and another spur to now Tony Wilson to go back to the, the agency again, saying yeah. I did it wrong. I want to be reborn, yeah. reborn. Um, yeah. I want I want a new new life. Um, I, I can get it right this time. Yeah, I can get it right. The ne the next reborn will be correct. I'll I'll, I'll do it properly. Yeah, um, I made should, a mistake yeah. in the last one, but I'll do it proper yeah. this time. We should also so mention just before we go back that Nora, his uh, the free spirit who who released him was also a plant of the company to make yes. his transition easier so there literally yeah. was nobody genuine he met no 
yeah, yeah. There was no one real in that particular process. They were all there to um, kind of yeah transition him into Tony Wilson. Mm. So he goes back to the company and says, look, basically, I want to try again. And he gets put into what we now understand is a kind of waiting room for um, for reborns who have unsuccessfully transitioned into their reborn state and are waiting for a cadaver to be released so that they can then be reborn again. Mm. Uh, And this is the waiting room at the start where a lot of middle-aged to old men are quietly listening to the radio, making notes and generally looking rather depressed um, in, in a very kind of bland, brownie kind of room which doesn't very exciting at all and it's there where it's here where um he actually meets charlie his friend um obviously doesn't recognize him because he's he's in a reborn body um but charlie has gone through the same process as tony wilson stroke arthur hamilton and has obviously made a mistake um in being reborn and wants to be reborn again so they meet each other there um and it's a kind of realization for tony wilson that charlie has also gone through this process um which makes him realize or consider at least that perhaps charlie wasn't being as forthright or honest as he was letting um letting out and there's a reason why that might be the case because as being part of a reborn um if you then go back to the company to be reborn again, you have to recommend someone in the outside world to be reborn. Um, it's part of the kind of agreement, as it were. Yeah. And Tony Wilson refuses to persuade someone from the outside world to be a reborn, unlike Charlie, who persuaded Arthur Hamilton yeah. to be a reborn. It's quite a nice sinister point because it's, it's, it's like... Nice. Um, yeah, you've got, you've got to hand on the, the baton to someone else because he's like passing on the, the, the death stick because yeah, is. Um, yeah. Charlie sold him out to the second chance, um, whereas Tony Wilson refuses to do so. He pretends he can't think of anyone, but he's um, yeah. the frustration between Mr. Ruby saying, you must know someone, there is someone we can approach. And he's like, yeah. no, there isn't anyone. He's almost made that choice saying, I'm not going to inflict what's happened to me on anyone yeah. else that I know. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know what, what happens as a consequence of that then is that Charlie is... Um, taken out of the the I mean, waiting room as it were he, he's been he's been chosen yeah effectively and a cadaver has been uh, um, organized for him um, the assumption is primarily because he has kind of vouched for tony wilson and they've come in so he's now therefore got a a, a cadaver which he can kind of go into again we assume um, though we assume and yeah. there's a big assumption to that because yeah. the end of the film perhaps puts a, a, a <laughs> bit of dampener on that particular idea but um what we see then, Tony Wilson is basically in, in purgatory or limbo, yeah. um, and he's with all of these other men who are clearly also in purgatory and limbo, and some of them seem to have been there for years, yeah. just waiting for another cadaver to arrive. Um, he continually refuses to recommend and vouch for someone on the outside world as well, um, until I think there comes a point where effectively the company have decided that, okay, we can't persuade him, so we're going to have to do something about him. Um, And so at that point, um, Tony Wilson, who is awoken in the middle of the night by the old man, who is, again, this kind of Faustian figure, um, who who we I think owns the company effectively with the the kind of the, the he the, talks about the, the founders he talks about when, yeah, the founder, when, yeah. when he started off he just wanted to help people and yeah. You know, yeah 
Yeah, and uh, it's quite. An, in, he has a quite a long kind of speech, as it were, a monologue where he's talking about the kind of founding principles of the company and uh, the, the principle that they're trying to help people find themselves. But there were mistakes, yeah. and they're trying to learn from their mistakes. And you don't really know quite what's going on, but you, you get a feeling that something sinister is about to happen. <laughs> anyway, Tony Wilson is then strapped. He's he's put on a um, like a I can't think medical trolley. A medical trolley strapped down. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's quite a horrific scene, actually. He's, he's wheeled away, yeah. and the camera is right on his face, and he's screaming. He doesn't it, know what's going it, on. It gets progressively yeah, more horrific as, as he realises his fate. He's not only just strapped down over his chest, he gets restraints on his hands, he gets a gag put yeah. in, and he's again, Rock Hudson is now trapped on the pillow, thrashing his head back and forth quite violently, screaming as best he can through the gag for quite a long time. <laughs> it's horrible, actually. Yeah, it's a horrible yeah. scene. As he's wheeled into this um, operating theatre... Um, where the the doctor who performed the plastic surgery and the extensive surgery on him is there. And actually what happens is that it turns out that Tony Wilson stroke of Hamilton is going to become the cadaver for the next reborn. Um, and he learns his fate as he's still conscious, and just as the doctor um, up to the, the, the screen has a drill, yeah. which you then see him turn on, put to his head, and that's the end of the film. You don't actually see anything as a consequence of that, but you hear the crunch, yeah. what, which, which what we can only presume to be the drill going into Tony Wilson's head. So it is a very <laughs> grim ending to the film. I think it's quite a shocking ending to the film as well, particularly for the time that it was made. Yeah, yeah, um, and, um, and and scene. So that's that's uh, that's yeah. the synopsis of seconds. Yeah. Um, is. Being again fairly brief and high concept, you can get through it. But I think we'll have more to dig into in the analysis yeah. of the film, which will come uh, in part two of our episode. Love Join that. us then, if you dare. <laughs> Welcome back. As we now look into a deeper look into seconds, James chose this film, as I think anyone who's a regular listener of the podcast <laughs> will, have, will have guessed already. <laughs> uh, so, James, would you like to begin by telling us why you chose this film, and then we'll look at some of the themes within. Before we go on, I'm just trying to think of a film that I've chosen that isn't depressing. <laughs> I, can't, I actually can't. Yeah, no, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd concur with that. Although we will, yeah. we will give a quick plug. This may be the twelfth episode in the twelfth month of Weekend at Crombies. Though we do have the thirteenth episode that will land on New Year's Eve, um, in case you've got nothing better to do, where we will look into um, the analysis of how we've analysed things, analysed, analysed things. Yeah, that's exactly. The we, right will, we will analysis the analysis. Um, I mean, I can't think of a better way to spend New Year's Eve. Um, so join us then. But. Um, before then, we 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 got some we got some cracking into seconds to do. James, would you like to take it yeah. away? So yeah, why did I choose seconds? Um, if part of the principle of a weekend at Crombie's um, conversation is to bring a light onto perhaps unloved films, and if weekend at Crombie's is enabling us to talk about films that have some potential reputation but that that reputation perhaps isn't as um well known as some more famous films of the era i'm really making this difficult um, <laughs> and i think seconds fulfills both of those criteria it is a film which um bombed 
horrendously at uh, the cinema when it was released. And I can totally understand why, because yep. I don't think I do not think it was. Um, I don't think the audiences were in any way ready for a film like Second when it was released. I don't um, think it caught the uh, the Rock Hudson Court audience. <laughs> no, I don't think at all. So it probably fell between um, a kind of a rock, as it were, in a hard place. Ah, very good. Um, yeah, that's not bad. Um, <laughs> but it. But having said that, it is also a film that has generated over the years a cult status and quite a reputation for being an intellectually stimulating, challenging, ideas-based science fiction film. Okay. Um, I would suggest that it is more of a science fiction film than it is a horror film, but I do think that it is inflected with both. Um, I like John Frankenheimer. His previous films before this were The Manchurian Candidate and Seven Days in May, which are both cracking thrillers worth watching in their own right and this was the third in what he calls the paranoia trilogy which i am ashamed to say that i had never seen despite knowing of it okay so it was a film that i was keen to watch um and you know, i felt that given that we'd had six previous films uh, five pe previous films chosen by me that were fundamentally depressing why not go for the whole <laughs> one and make the sixth one uh, seconds as uh, as depressing as well. So I mean that was the kind of the 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 pricey of why I chose the film. Other than the fact that it sounds like an interesting concept and um, why not choose it? Yeah, um, yeah. You know th those are the kind of core reasons. There were some things about the film as well um, in terms of the, the analysis which intrigued me. So um, my favourite film of all time ever in the history of films is Mulholland Drive. Uh, the David Lynch film from the early 2000s. And that is a film about identity. In uh, Fundamentally, it's about identity. One of my other favourite films of all time is Ingmar Bergman's um, Persona, which is another film about identity and the changing of identity through dialogue, conversation, and being put in a position and a place where your identity merges into something else. And I really like the idea in films that the sense of identity, particularly in Mulholland Drive and Persona, is not um, strict. It's not focused on one thing. What's intriguing about Seconds is that it counters that argument somewhat, that it provides a different perspective from the body swap type film or the identity type psychological horror science fiction film seconds effectively says it doesn't matter what you do whether you have a new face a new body a new house a new life you can't escape from you and that's a very different view from those two films that i've stated about mulholland drive and persona which i consider fantastic so i'm intrigued by the idea of um, identity politics and psychological thrillers in science fiction. I wouldn't call Mulholland Drive a science fiction film, for example. That That's a horror film in my mind. Hmm. Persona is much more of a psychodrama, but it has elements of horror in it. Seconds, I think, is born out of that same kind of quagmire, that pool of ideas. Um, but for me, it presents a slightly different view of that identity crisis 
and that process, which I found intriguing or I find intriguing in that context. So if that doesn't sound too pretentious, <laughs> which, which, which I, I totally accept that it, it, it could be, yeah. um, there are some kind of analytical, analytical points of the film that I'd like to kind of just, just talk about briefly. Yeah, the perfect. first thing, if, uh, if I may, is um, what I like about the film is this idea of paranoia. It was filmed in the 60s. It was made in the 60s. It re- was released in 1966. It was at the start of the Vietnam War, effectively. Um, we are looking at uh, the Bay of Pigs just happened. There was a lot of political um, complexity taking place at the time. Um, and I think that Seconds absolutely taps into the zeitgeist taking place in America at that time about that controlling system. More interestingly, though, Frank I would, and I would, sorry, I would, I would just jumping in terms of history yeah. terms there. I would say almost more than, say, Vietnam, which I think would, would explode later in a different way. This is kind yeah. of the red menace. This is the you're idea right, that yeah. communists are living amongst yes. us and and people are not who they seem and there's yeah there's you're right government is an undercurrent controlling things that we don't have any control over yeah i i I think that's a completely valid point um kind of following on from that though frankenheim's two previous films in the paranoia trilogy it's a loose trilogy they're not linked other than the idea that it's about um kind of political thrillers the manchurian candidate and seven days in may are political thrillers they uh seven days in may is, is i think the the, the best of the three and it's about um um uh, the united states being taken over by kind of like a military force it's a really interesting film but they are politically driven um whereas i think seconds is a much more personal small-scale film that has a lot to say about corporate business um the the burgeoning capitalism of post-war america yeah. and mental health issues might not have been described as mental health issues at the time but mental health issues about consumerism identity and self help and um kind of self-worth as it were so i think it's quite it's a very different perspective but it's still born out of that really interesting creative time in america where lots of these kinds of films were being made some better than others i have to say yeah um I don't know if you have anything to add to that. In terms of the story, um, I think we will come, we'll come to how it's shot. But in terms of the, again, yeah, the premise yeah. of the plot, to kick off, you're right. It, it, the, the sci-fi concept is there. It felt like a, a very um, um, what's it called not uh, not the outer limits, the Twilight Zone. It had a, you, I could easily have seen this being yeah. a Twilight Zone episode. In fact, I'll yeah. come to how again how, the, how it's plotted. It could you know in fact maybe it's a stretched out Twilight Zone episode. That mm-hmm. idea that you're, you can be plucked out of your life and given something new, and then the morality tale, which again does seem like very much a morality tale, as much about everything else. Um, we said there's the Faustian bargain. Um, yeah. There's there's the, the choice he has to make. In fact, he he then makes a moral choice which leads to his downfall. The, the the symbolism of purgatory and this kind of stuff it's all there um and interesting yeah. to show and it's 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 it hangs on its concept i think that's the thing it doesn't hang on so much the plot or even so much the acting although actually rock hudson and a few of the other turns do a quite good job there in selling it to you um yeah. it's it's the premise i think that is that is what's going to hook you into this movie um, yeah it's 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 an ideas film without doubt yeah. um it, it's a science fiction film I mean, for me, you get two types of science fiction film, really. You get the science fiction film, which is the space opera, um, really focused on technology and and kind of uh, innovation. And you get the science fiction film, which is about ideas uh, that are based fundamentally in um, identifiable worlds 
um, but taken to their logical extremes or where an individual has to make a ridiculous decision or something like that. Yeah. And I think this is clearly of the latter. Yeah. Um, so, but I think in, in terms of, of, again, what those ideas are, I mean, it's it's interesting that it shows, again, this moment in the 60s to go with the idea. I mean, the, the idea is that you can... As as um, Tony Wilson articulated, he was he spent his life chasing everything he thought he was supposed to have and yeah. and, and, and acquired it, and yeah. it turned out there was you know he was chasing smoke. There was nothing there, and yeah. you know it, it's very on point almost about the anxieties of the modern age, is that um, you can be a inverted commas success and yeah. actually have achieved nothing at all and and feel you know utterly empty when you're when you when you start to assess your life. Yeah, um, I think that's absolutely key. It's about feeling utterly empty yeah. despite despite doing your best to accrue all of the things that you're supposed to accrue. Yeah, and this is not just a material thing. I mean, he's materially, no. he's going to be a bank president very soon. He yeah. says he's got a nice house in the Hamilton Bill. So he's, again, he's got a wife who, you know, even though she didn't really get on, is, you know, seems like a pleasant person to have spent your life with. He's got a daughter who's, yeah. who's marrying, so there's you know, his grandchildren on the way. He's, he's materially um, well off. You know, he does, and, you know, he's living in the Western world. He's a white middle-aged banker living in New York in the 1960s. That's winning the lottery of life yeah. demographically. And he's he's... And he's unhappy. Yeah, he's unhappy. He just thinks it's nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, and that's again, it's and his new life isn't even any better. It's again, he's. Um, I'm going to call back to the, as almost a funny line from uh, the Matrix when um, the villain Cipher is is choosing when he wants to go back into the Matrix and he says, "Make me someone important, like an actor." Um, yeah. <laughs> and and it's almost like that. It's like he doesn't really want to be an artist. His one attempt at no, painting is very perfunctory. He just thinks artists must be happy. You know, yeah, art, artists true. are free. Yeah. They they're artistic. They're creative. That's but happy. They must be happy people. So he chooses yeah. that. It you know, and it's interesting yeah, but, that that. But, yeah. but the interesting thing is he fundamentally believes that as well he doesn't yeah. know it so yeah. he says this under truth serum yes what what is your what is your ultimate ambition what is your desire yeah oh i guess i want to be an artist yeah and he doesn't he doesn't know he doesn't mean it but it's what he should think yeah. i think you, you you hit the nail on the head where you talked about um the 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 kind of juxtaposition of an individual who has everything that he or she is supposed to have to be fulfilled and happy but doesn't and so therefore feels completely empty. And I think that that is if the film was that in and of itself, it would be an interesting but not particularly innovative or um, thought provoking film, because I think that that's that would say something about the society that that individual lives in. Yeah. What I think that Seconds does, which takes it to a slightly more interesting place, is by using the mechanism of him changing into Rock Hudson and still being unhappy. Yeah. And I think that to me is the crux of the um the quality of the film because it 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 starts off as one thing or for me you expect it to be about one thing. It's about the emptiness of consumerism. It's about the need to fill your life with things that actually don't matter or perhaps don't matter to you and so therefore you don't you don't do the things that you want to do yeah. because you don't think that you should do them or you can't do them because you're stuck in this particular way of looking but then when you have the opportunity to do them you still don't like them and actually you realize that perhaps you made a mistake 
And so fundamentally, if we're talking about this idea of psychology and identity, it moves beyond a satire on society, although I do think it is one of those. Mm. Certainly, it's very cynical of consumerist America and capitalist America in the 60s into something a little bit more um, challenging and darker uh, and certainly more um, bewildering is the wrong wrong word, but, but certainly more uh, challenging in terms of what it means for you as an individual watching that as well because what rock hudson is experiencing is an inability to escape from himself yeah he can't escape from the escape that he has tried to escape from yeah and that is that's a really terrifying thing which to come into um the bit about the acting rock hudson does a good job in this um again, he, he, he was he was not their their first choice to cast like they think he later said he did a good job but he, they thought oh, he, he was he was a very matinee idol um, yeah. star and the director didn't want him because of that very reason okay. he later then said he was very glad he picked him um and in fact i think rock hudson did that kind of thing where you do take a, a dramatic role to show what you can do um yeah and, and he, i think he's excellent in yeah the film, I, I think think. I think he inhabits the body of the actor playing the older man is is him was his choice yeah, to do as the, a young man yeah the the um yeah. the uh, the other actor didn't i think have to adjust his performance so much to be rock hudson it was the other way around yeah. so yeah. you you have again someone who looks like rock hudson but internally if it's say he is that still that middle-aged man it's um yeah there is something about him that that almost sadness he carries it's he's he's not he's not like shambling or anything he's he's given a physical body but um but he's here. He's he's just as as pushed down as the original actor was, which yeah. is, is very nicely portrayed in that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, there's there's a scene, um, the scene in the uh, vineyard, the, the the kind of the the debauched, nude, grape scrunching um, wine making scene. I think is a it's a, it's a, it's quite a full on scene and it's an unexpected scene as well I wasn't I wasn't expecting unexpected for that. a film in the, in the middle of the 60s yeah. Yeah, but that's what I mean yeah it, I, I wasn't expecting that level of gratuitous nudity because there is a lot of graphic full frontal nudity in it which yeah. I, it's like wow okay blimey um, <laughs> I mean not from Rock Hudson it has to be said um, but suddenly Nan's on the run does not seem so gratuitous anymore <laughs> yeah no it doesn't but but I, I think uh, in the context of the film it's an, it, 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 it provides the Tony Wilson character with that release point. And that, that I think is the point where I thought, you know what? Rock Hudson is doing a cracking job here because he is tightly wound in that scene. He is profoundly uncomfortable. Um, when they when it, when the realization happens that actually everybody's getting into kind of like a hippie orgy here yeah. and um this is so out of my comfort zone that i totally do not want this to happen you can see him shouting at nora you know nora stop that stop it yeah. come here and she's pushing him away and saying you know like let you know let loose yeah. relax and he clearly doesn't he doesn't want it but then he, but you feel, a, you feel his discomfort because the whole bacchanalia, the, the bacchanalia is shot was like the Wicker Man. There's lots of close-up shots of like people drinking wine and it's dripping down yeah. their faces. And, and even though people you know, are getting naked and dancing around, it's it's shown as a, as a claustrophobic thing rather than a free spirit. Yeah, They're not like skipping through the trees. They're all in this big tub of grapes. All yeah. limbs are you know over each other and that oh, kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Hugh. It looks like a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> it does i would not want to be in that not again not not to be completely give us a free ride i will say in terms of um it probably does 
sit on the right side of gratuity. However, in terms of everyone's getting naked, there was yeah. it was a it's very women, long like, scene, and it was a lot of shots of like Brazilians being snapped off young women, yeah. rather than just everybody getting naked. There were no like yeah. horrible old men getting their clothes off. No, um, you're right. It, it, there is no equality in the nudity. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it is it is clear that there are naked men in the in in the kind of barrel yeah. that they're squashing the grapes in, but That's you not see where the bums, camera link is. thumbs and backs. Yeah, <laughs> you don't see balls. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so but, I th- that, yeah. that was the point where I thought, you know what, Rock Hudson is doing a cracking job here because he is both embodying this awkward, uncomfortable um, middle-aged man who just does not want to be there. Yeah. But he's also trying to accept that he has been reborn and so should try to accept this process yeah. as well. And he's grappling with that. Which they do that kind of crazy baptismal scene when he's you know, pushed under the grapes and he emerges yeah. as, as him, you said it yourself. Which, say, doesn't stick. He doesn't, you know, having gone through this, no, this cathartic scene, the very next scene he's not, it's not taken, um, which is an interesting one again. I think we're coming yeah. to the structure of the, of the film in terms of its middle act, but yeah. you, you, you almost build up to that and you would assume in a, in a different kind of film that's the moment when he starts to live as Tony Wilson. He's starting to paint pictures, he's having parties, yeah. he's hanging out with Nora, and it's all dreamy. And maybe something comes back on him like, this is where I thought, again, I thought the film was going. I assumed, um, this is how my mind works, I assumed that um, there was a real Tony Wilson. That's how they had all the legitimate qualifications and how someone meets him in the airport oh. saying, hey, Tony, how are you doing? I assumed it was some kind of scam where they just needed to get a Tony Wilson lookalike, whereby they would frame him or kill him for insurance or something like that yeah. and he would find he'd been tricked he wanted this new life and it turns out he was getting screwed by the company all along and it was all a big con which is more that's a narrative plot um yes, this, this is. is an ideas plot where in fact the, the company is legit in that sense they they would you know for yeah. cash they would reborn you uh, rebirth you and in fact this is the comeback to the, the the capitalism thing the old man who's the founder of the company um, who gets him to sign. There's some coercion with the idea that they get that, that blackmail film of him ravishing a lady on it. But really, the, you get the impression... It's persuasion, that, isn't it? Yeah, they're not... Again, they're, they're not trying to trick him into signing it. They're providing no. a service that they've, they've coerced from him. And when he... Well, they're providing a solution yeah. to his problem. And when he when it fails and he comes back again and they, they kill him to be someone else's cadaver, yeah. the man really explains it, not in a way of we are punishing you because you did no. this and morally... This is your comeuppance. It's like he's very much like we tried this and people failed, but you know what? We you know, we got the shareholders to think of, and we just got to keep on trying. That's what we're going to do. And it's almost like the system of the company yeah. is is doing this to him. No one is making an evil choice, but evil no. is happening because of that. The, the the old man who does it just wants to keep the company ticking over, get more bodies in, get more clients. If old yeah. clients fail, we'll just recycle them and we'll just keep going yeah. until we get a, a perfect system, which is the sinister part of it. There is no um, unlike interestingly some of the previous films you've picked. Where there is a, um, a Mephistopheles character who is who is deliberately malignant and and doing evil to these these victims, there is no character who's doing evil. It's just a bad situation. Well, I think I think there's a reason why um, the company is just called the company. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think you know it's a metaphor. It's, it is a metaphor for that kind of capitalist consumerist uh, mid sixties burgeoning American society, because the, the idea is that the company just needs to survive. It, it it needs clients. It needs people to buy its products, yeah. and that's what it's doing. It's surviving at all cost. Um, and yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. I think it's a it. Nobody is coerced. Um, there are there are assurances, but nobody's coerced in a way that is particularly problematic. People make their own decisions. Yeah, they make they make. Um, 
they have agency. So um, Tony Wilson, Arthur Hamilton, they have agency. They make those decisions themselves. It's only until the very end where Tony Wilson's agency is completely taken away from him because he needs to become the cadaver for someone else's agency. Yeah. That's when the that's when that kind of is taken away. But that only happens right at the end of that particular process. Yeah. Um, a couple of other things I wanted to mention about the film, which I found interesting. Um, Rock Hudson turns up 45 minutes into the film. Yes. Um, and he, he I mean, and, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at the film from, um, you know, 50 or 60 years hence, basically. And, you know, I've not seen many Rock Hudson films, but it's hard to emphasize just how much of a Hollywood star Rock Hudson was in the late 50s and early 60s. Yeah. And um, I think I find it interesting that Frankenheimer doesn't introduce him at all until about halfway. Well, maybe not quite halfway through the film, but certainly well into the film itself. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You probably compare that to, say, Psycho, um, where Janet Lee is killed off in about half an hour. Spoilers. At the start of... Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. What about Anne Heck in the um, Vim Vendors remake from the late 90s? There you go. Um, if you haven't seen that one. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I, that's an interesting choice to hire, to have signed up. Um, you know, maybe one of the top five or six Hollywood actors working yeah. in Hollywood at that time. I generally, and, I bet, it's shortly in about 10, 20 minutes of the film, I found myself Googling a picture of Rock Hudson to remind myself, thinking, has he got really, really old? And I just yes. have not spotted him. Yeah, me too. Me too. Because I think. Um, you know, as much as I'm a, a, a cinephile and I enjoy watching lots of films, yeah. I have to admit that the kind of the idea I have in my head of a Rock Hudson 1950s film doesn't really appeal to me. The kind of Doris Day musical number. It's not something that I would necessarily, you know, maybe it's a weekend at Crombies for the future. I don't know. So I can't really say for sure I knew exactly what Rock Hudson looks like. Yeah. You know, <laughs> pinpoint him completely. So, you know, when Arthur Hamilton's on um, screen, I'm thinking that can't be Rod. H That's not Rock Hudson. Is it? Yeah, Is that yeah. Rock Hudson? Okay, uh, Hollywood heartthrob. <laughs> Fine. I mean, I'm not having a go at um, what's his name, John John Randolph. I can't yeah. have a go at John Randolph. But e equally, um, an interesting point, um, I think, in that context. But also, the other thing actually, want... given how how bad would you feel if you were a reborn um, and you turned out you weren't given Rock Hudson's face? <laughs> like, yeah, you, they, you, like you, all the all the other reborns look fairly average, and you know, this yeah. Alpha Hamilton, he really won the lottery with the uh, the plastic surgeon. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, you're right. Some of them look really scrawny and gnarly. And old, yeah, don't and they? And then Rock Hudson was yeah, yeah. like, "Yeah, got I, I got this." <laughs> <laughs> um, Actually, there was that phrase. The plastic surgeon mentions that himself because when the same surgeon that gave him his original, his Rock Hudson face, is the guy that drills into his head at the very end and says something like, "You were my best work." Um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, so sorry to have to do this. Like, oh, that's a really um, good point. Yeah, um, oh, I want to talk about the structure of the film as well. And you mentioned yeah. it earlier. Yeah. Like, for me, it's it's. In reality, it's probably four acts. Yeah. Uh, you have a you have a, an, an opening act, which is the mystery, what's happening. It's Arthur Hamilton, and um, you have the second act, which is where we where we see Rock Hudson. He's revealed. The third act is effectively um, uh, Tony Wilson's new life in California, and the final act is his decision that he's made a mistake and he wants to be reborn again, and it's his downfall at the end. Yeah. Um, I suppose you know you could narrow it down to three acts. I guess really um, that the, the change, the life, and the death. I suppose. Yeah. Um, and um, so you know I put my cards on the table. I liked all three acts. I think that the, I think that the film 
peaks in the first and last acts, I have to say. Yeah. Um, and I think that the the first act was a really intriguing um, process. I really liked the fact that I had no real idea what on earth was going on. And I'd um, also not read around the movie. I wanted it to surprise me, and it certainly did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, the way that the... I mean, again, we'll come on to this again, but I think that the way the film is filmed as well discombobulates you a little bit more yeah. as well. Well, let's get into so, that now. I mean, yeah, it's it's all black and white, we should mention. Um, yeah, which, which beautifully, uh, beautiful cinematography as well. Yeah. Really crisp black and white. Yeah, but lots of, again, lots of fisheye on the lens, lots of yeah. close-ups, yeah. lots of really uncomfortable close-ups. Um, well, yeah, what, what looks like almost kind of um, video camera. I mean, it isn't video camera, but it's, yeah. you know, it's almost like spy cameras from inside of hats or bags yeah, yeah. following yes, people about. Yes. And again, that moment, the, the very last scene, it, it reaches dance from the dark levels of disturbing because it you does, literally yeah. have Rock Hudson, um, what appears to be yeah, thrashing around on his pillow with his either blood or sweat is now drenching mm. his pillow. He's visibly disturbed because he knows what's going to happen to him. And it doesn't let up. It, it's no, it's it, not it like he knows what's happening. Face, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, um, and again, so the, and the whole black and whiteness, yeah, I mean, it certainly helps with the paranoia. It probably helps it age better, too, because I think had it yeah. been shot in colour now, it would not have... Again, <laughs> I say age well, no one likes it, no one's heard of it, but watching it for myself, um, I yeah. felt that it certainly helped to age it better. If I'd seen it in colour, it would have probably looked a bit naff now. Certainly, the, I, I agree. It, would, it, it doesn't lend itself to a technicolour um, kind of approach, I think. Yeah. I think the black and white monochrome is very in line with its kind of sensibilities, as it were. The first act, I thought, was, was really interesting, really great, really great. Um, it, it, it's unnerving, it's intriguing, you're drawn into the story a little bit, you don't know where it's going to go. I thought there were some really cracking scenes in the first act as well. Yeah. I particularly liked the old man talking to Arthur Hamilton, persuading yes. him that this is the right thing to do. And he says, you know, really, what have you got to live for? What's yeah. left? Why are you not making this decision? Yeah. There's nothing left for you there. And he keeps plugging away at him. And I think it's really good. And I think John Randolph, as Arthur Hamilton, actually does a really good turn as you know, I kept noticing about John Randolph as the Arthur Hamilton character is how much he was sweating Yes, and they could see the beads of sweat on him, and the, how uncomfortable he felt in his suit in that scene. I was just, I thought it was just a really kind of claustrophobic, horrible way of feeling it. But it was really effective as well. Yeah, so there's, there's there's lots there, um, and you know what's interesting as well in in the first act. Okay, it's a science fiction film, and in some science fiction films you'll get you'll get the um the the the, the transition from Arthur Hamilton to um, Tony Wilson will be born out of a um, uh, a kind of like a, a clever way of thinking about what new technology can do. So it will be about, it won't be about plastic surgery. Yeah. It will be about some more kind of full-on type of science where you walk into a, you know, be like the fly, I guess. Really. You yeah. walk into a, 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 trans, a, a kind of transmitter and you walk out as Tony Wilson. This isn't anything to do with it. This is quite kind of old school. It's yeah. basically. But I was thinking actually, you no, know, plastic surgery was probably new to them in the terms of what they I could do. I suppose it was, yeah. But he just has extensive plastic surgery and yeah. physiotherapy. Yeah. That's it. And it, I think it's fair to say that the plastic surgery science in it is quite. It, it's it's fairly ridiculous because there's no way that you could change Arthur Hamilton to Tony Wilson through plastic surgery. Well, but ridic ridiculous, but, but tangible. Um, people yes, knew, people yeah, knew you could, that, you could yeah, get a new nose, you could get a new cheeks, you could get a new face, and therefore you, you tie all those together. Um, interestingly, actually, this, this uh, another film was, was hired to be by my good lady wife, um, yeah. called Self Slash Less, where it's, oh, okay. whether, it's, whether, it's, 
Um, Ryan Reynolds, yeah, um, Ryan Reynolds and Ben Kingsley. Um, yeah, whether a remake or a similar concept, again, um, oh, Ben okay. Kingsley gets transformed into Ryan Reynolds. I think that's done through like a consciousness transfer, um, right, okay. which is that again that high concept thing, and it's played out I think more as a a, a straight thriller. Um, yeah. Not as in this time, which is again that almost makes that choice or at least the script they don't do the thriller thing they do they, they loop back into the psychological thing because I don't think in a in a straight thriller he would have gone back and had that conversation with his wife and made that no, choice where no. again almost yeah in, in a in a in a in a, a film with a, with a driving plot you keep moving forward you don't go back to the place you started at and retread yeah. the steps of everyone else I mean that's yeah. that's the it's, different it, style to it, it. It's a, it's a profoundly depressing scene, isn't it? It, it, it you would it's it's self flagellation. It, it it's it's um it's a it yeah he's he's it's a, I I actually find that that scene where he goes back to his wife and and has a conversation with her. I mean, outside of the final scene, yeah. is is a distressing scene because it's full of absolute melancholy. Yeah. Um, regret, actually, absolute regret, because he's totally sure he's made the wrong decision now. Yeah. Why didn't he just stay where he was? But I think, I think it's more than that because he was. Him. Yeah, but more than that, it's not just that um, he's made the wrong decision. He's realised that he he made the wrong decision sort of thirty years ago. He because well, he, he yeah. couldn't he couldn't just flip that switch and go back to being himself because himself his old life wasn't making him happy either. He'd gone through his entire yeah. life making decisions that didn't make oh him happy, God. which is why he wants to yeah. be reborn again. He's, he he doesn't say turn me back. I want to be Arthur Hamilton again. He says I want no, to be reborn again. I can get it right. So he he yeah, knows right. even his old life is wrong. It's it's, it's again. The, yeah. Maybe he was going back hoping that he'd be like you know if only Arthur would walk through the door I'd throw my arms around him and I'd welcome him. The wife's like I don't think he made him happy. I don't really mind that he's gone. I'm doing okay. Um, yeah. So it's it's that yeah, that's the depressing part. That's probably what again makes it that kind of almost it's psychological that, it's horror. That, it's that next level of depressing, isn't yeah. it? Really. But it's um, which what reminded me of that sort of the. Um, the, the 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 Twilight Zone when they have those you know sort of deeply ironic tragic endings where the the character yeah. realizes there were no good choices and there was no good ending and it's it's just purgatory awaits. Yeah. So you know if you want Happy to Christmas this film, <laughs> what seconds followed by Dancer in the Dark? Oh, God. Um, so 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 the first act, um, the kind of the the the, the change, as it were, um, I, I find really interesting. The final act as well, when he's made the decision that he wants to be reborn again, and I think the final act starts with that visit to his wife, yeah. um, and then it leads on from there back into the company, as it were, and um, it, it's when some of the um, y- you start to realise some of the. Um, kind of, uh, I don't know, not complex, but there are some things that happen in the first act that don't make any sense yeah. that become clear in the last act. Yes, so, for example, the room full enough. of people yeah. that are just sitting there on the radio. You think, what on earth is going on here? That becomes clear in the last act. Some things are explained yeah. in some ways. Yeah. I initially thought that was just put there as a bit of weirdness, so in the same way that yeah. he imagined ravishing well. someone as a bit of weirdness. Yeah. So it was nice to have it tied back in that actually what he yeah. had walked through is his future. Yeah, uh, you're right. I, I thought it was a bit of 60s odd psychedelia. Yeah. You know, the kind of thing that you'd think, well, what's that all about? And it's not explained anywhere, but it is actually explained and it's given a context. I think that's really good. And it does lead into what I do think. I mean, you know, I, the, the the ending to this film is so it's so out of the blue. I mean, maybe it's not out of the blue because the tone of the film perhaps suggests that all isn't going to end well, yeah. I guess. But. The, the way that it's filmed and the um, the unflinching nature of the distress that you see on um, Rock Hudson's character, Tony Wilson, 
is very disturbing yeah. and it's so it's it's so much more disturbing than if it was filled with gore or blood and guts it's a psychologically disturbing sequence yeah which i i is stuck with me a lot so you know i'm i watch a lot of horror films and i can't think of a more horrific final five minutes to a film than i've seen in many a year it is <laughs> It is horrible. I mean, it's genuine. And I, I, you know, I have to apologise for putting you through that. Um, but in, in my defence, I didn't know that that was going to be the ending of the film. No, I, I usually watch these movies by myself, but I did think, well, it's Rock Hudson, it's 1960s. I'll watch it with, 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 the, with the wife, because that would be pleasant. <laughs> yeah, a mistake, right? She gave it less floating crumbie heads than I will. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, okay. Let let me be clear. It is a horrific ending. It is a disturbing ending. Yeah. Um, there isn't a lot of graphic violence in it, but it is psychologically violent. But I think it is an absolutely stupendous ending as well. It's probably the ending that the film needs. And I think if anything else had happened, it would have been a bit of a cop out, given the tone of the film and where it was heading. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Thought, I thought it pretty much tied the film up fantastically yeah. well. You're looking at a couple of other possibilities there. Either he spends the rest of his life in that waiting room and it's just played out as yeah. you were there forever. Which would have been an interesting yeah. ending. Or yeah, he absolutely. steps off and, again, he's the tennis player he always dreamed of and he's had a second chance to do it again, which yeah. is... But I think this ending is, is the appropriate and certainly the most effective ending. It's it, certainly it, the it tone is, of the film, I think. Yeah, it's, 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 it's how it had to be, um, although the, the way they shot it pulls no punches. No, despite not seeing anything. Well, you see the distress in his face. That's probably the you worst. see this. Yeah, but you, so so the, the, in in the hands of um, a hack or, or a less talented director, or perhaps if the film was more modern, yeah. you would see the drill. Yeah, I think, and it, you know, the film cuts away just as the drill goes in. You hear the drill. Yeah, and you certainly hear the crunch. <laughs> As it goes yeah. into his skull, but well, you that, don't that, see yeah. it. Again, that wasn't what got me. It, it was the acting. It was it was the, the stress yeah. on Rock Hudson because that's yeah. well, again, not real, but that's obviously that's there. If they'd shown him drilling into his head, I would have known they were drilling into a prop head with a prop drill. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. The fact you, you know, that person was genuinely distressed for their life and 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 everything that meant for it that was that yeah. certainly came across. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I completely agree. Which leads us to the middle act, which yeah, um, I think is, yeah. yeah, I think it's the least successful of the three acts. Doesn't mean to say that I don't, I don't think it's worthy or right in the context of the film because it, it helps to establish. I think it helps to establish the fundamental idea of the film, which is that, for me anyway, and this is what maybe is quite interesting about the film and why I like the film. Um, you can interpret the film in quite a number of ways, but for me, it's the fact that you can't. What you can do many things to escape the unfulfilled life that you have, but you can't escape yourself. And the middle act of the film is the act that establishes that process. What I would say about it is that there's quite a lot of filler yeah. in that middle bit of the film that, in hindsight, isn't all necessary. So I think you could probably cut. 15 20 minutes out of that middle section and it still be as effective and it be 90 minutes instead of nearly two hours that's what i was thinking they're, they're, this yeah. this could be again an extended outer limit so extended um twilight yeah. zone because it's yeah. the, the premise that carries it and the, the the plot if you like the the, the structure 
it falls down in the middle, I think. It, um, because it yeah. starts so strong and it ends so strong, that may be a yeah. problem as well. But again, the Bacchanalian <laughs> scene felt overlong. The scenes of him kind of moping around, the, the cocktail scene itself, he, you kind of get where he's at very quickly. You um, do, you do. And it, it, it's I, always I, difficult because you showing someone moping is never entertaining, but you kind of have to show him depressed to get across yeah. the idea that he's depressed. So um, I don't know how they would have done it to make it more more engaging, but that's a no, scene where right, you, have to, yeah. you have to hang on in the film, I think, to get to the end. Yeah, you do. And I, I think that, that, you know, if you know the film and you know where it's heading, that's OK. Yeah. Because you're you're in the middle of the film thinking, yeah, but I know what's going to happen. I know that this is going to this is part of that kind of that that narrative structure. That's fine. But if you know nothing about the film and I, I had some in the, I had some inclination about the broad idea of the film, but I didn't know anything about the film itself. You're thinking at about the hour mark. OK, is this going to be the rest of the film? Yes, because if it is going to be the rest of the film. It's a real disappointment because it would have moved from what could be one of the best films I've ever seen into, <laughs> into um, a, a, a missed opportunity. Yeah. And it kind of excuses itself, absolutely, through the final act. But, you know, it, it just tinges it a little bit for me. Yeah. Anything anything further to add then? We've, we've dipped into the uh, the way it was shot, the uh, the plot, some of the acting. Anything else you'd want to say about this? A couple of other things, okay. um, not so much about the ideas or the structure of the film or, or anything like that, but about um, John Frankenheimer's um, uh, approach to making the film as well, which I think is quite an interesting one. Okay. I've said interesting quite a lot, so I'm going to stop saying interesting. <laughs> it's, it, it, there, there are, oh, I can't. There's some interesting points in this. <laughs> so the, the, the film is about reborns, or it's about this idea of having a second chance, I guess, really. Yeah. He um, uses actors in the film that were blacklisted, um, in the kind of McCarthy communist oh, um, yeah, and he uses them deliberately um, to make a point about the idea that they should never have been blacklisted, and he's giving them an opportunity. So, um, Mr. Ruby, who was played by Jeff Corey, was blacklisted in the fifties. Um, yeah. In fact, didn't this was his first film for ten years. Um, the old man was played by Will Greer, who was blacklisted. Also played the grandfather in The Waltons. Yeah which is interesting. And um, Arthur Hamilton, so John Randolph was also a blacklisted um, um, kind of McCar- McCarthy um, communist. Uh, I mean, he obviously wasn't a communist, yeah. but he, was, he had left-leaning tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the film actually is, I would say, quite anti-capitalistic um, in its view. So it, I think it certainly has a, a more socialist view of the world than perhaps... Um, more traditional Hollywood films would have had at the time, so I think that's quite an interesting, uh, a, a kind of a, a point worth highlighting, I guess. Really, the other thing in terms of the cast, um, Charlie Evans is played by Murray Hamilton, who plays the mayor in Jaws. Okay. And I was trying to think about where I'd seen him before, and I looked it up on IMD afterwards. I think, oh yeah, of course he's the mayor. The other thing I want to say about the cast is Rock Hudson. Yeah. And what I find absolutely really interesting oh, not interesting what i find um <laughs> fascinating fascinating yeah what i find fascinating right is um so um in later life rock hudson um um uh, he, he came out as homosexual yeah um and he died actually of aids in in the mid 80s so he's one yeah. of the kind of first um kind of big kind of news stories about the AIDS epidemic um, in America. So he was he was a, 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 a gay man in Hollywood at a time when it was both illegal 
um, to be homosexual and certainly wouldn't have done his career any good yeah. if he had been exposed as a gay man, given his kind of heartthrob yeah, um, image. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for me, what I, what I kind of admire about Rock Hudson in this film, whether it's conscious or not, is that knowing what we know about Rock Hudson now and playing that role about not being able to escape who you are, yeah. but trying to be someone different, I think is really quite profound. Maybe I'm overplaying it a little bit. But that's remarkable, but, but he, the, he cast a lot of blacklisted actors, and then whether he yeah. whether he knew the, the truth of Rock Hudson's life, it certainly wasn't public knowledge, and Rock Hudson took that role anyway. Yeah, he took that role anyway. Uh, and it must that must have been quite a challenge for Rock Hudson to do. Um, and so that adds an, another level of kind of frisson to the story and the meaning of the story as well. So um, I think I think that's that's the analysis from my point of view. Unless you have anything else, I don't think so. I think we've we've gone over the bones of that again. Um, I'm not, not sure whether we've gone over a brisk pace or not. We feel like we've there's a lot to think about this film as much as there there is. to say about it. Um, but think about it and set, talk about it. We have done so. I think we'll yeah. we'll take a break and then we will come back where we will award it our floating crombie heads. Welcome back, everyone, for the uh, the final Floating Crombie Head scores of 2018, Ooh. where we will give our scores for seconds. Tradition, <laughs> tradition dictates, I can't remember, as tradition no. dictates. So, James, would you like yep. to kick off and give us your Floating Crombie Head scores for seconds? Right, so seconds. Um, I think that seconds fulfils two quite distinctive um, functions for me. Um, I think that at one level, it's quite an intellectually um, rigorous film that requires um, a bit of thought and leaves you thinking about what the meaning of the film's about. But also you can strip away quite a lot of that um, intellectual pomposity, I guess, to a certain extent, and still find the film affecting as a science fiction slash horror film. Um, so I think that because of that, it's a success. There are some issues with the structure of the film, particularly in, in the middle act. Um, but I think because of the fact that I actually in the end, enjoyed the film, got a lot out of it, I'm going to give it four disembodied Crombie heads. So that's four disembodied Crombie heads. Very good. I am in the position... Not going to give it four disembodied <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I tell you, this is... Um... I've now, I've, in the evolution of us watching these films, I've gone with a gut scoring when i finish watching a film and then i allow our conversation to to modify that that instinctive yeah, reaction and yeah. i think it has been modified through what we've talked mm -hmm. about um uh, i guess personally i didn't come away from the film feeling i'd enjoyed it no okay. that's and I, i'm not entirely sure i'd recommend it to anyone who wasn't dr james evans <laughs> <laughs> if you hadn't seen it i would recommend it to you in a heartbeat um yeah. but, but you I wouldn't have seen it yeah, but I can't deny it's it's a film that stuck with me. It's a film that you know, in in 
in later life, I'd probably, you know, reference if I was talking about, yes. you know, thing, either mentally reference or talk to people about it, saying, oh, there's this kind of film and this kind of thing happens, um, and that's what I'm trying to make my point with. Um, so it's it's sticking with me. In it, you know, it's a film about ideas, and idea did take. Um, I, so I think it's going to be just, but I think it's a four floating crumpy head for me too. Whoa! Yeah, I think we can say it, it was. I was scoring it lower. <laughs> beating heart. <laughs> I did score it lower, but I'm I'm just thinking. You know, it is, this is not a narrative film, so I shouldn't be judging it on a narrative score. If it was a narrative film, I'd judge it more harshly. But this is a film about ideas, and it 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 certainly got those ideas across, and it got what it needed to get across, and it stuck with you. And I think, fair play, it went you know full tilt for what it was trying to do. And 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 like again, some of the other films we've seen, say The Dancing yeah. in the Dark, or whatever, um, it 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 worked for me. Um, the, yeah. the ideas hit, hit home. I wasn't revulsed by it. As, as shocking as it was, as horrific yeah. as it was, I wasn't repelled by the horror. I, I, it, it made its point with me. So there you go. Four floating grubby heads for me too. Happy well, Christmas, I'm, James. I'm really pleased about that. <laughs> um, That's made my Christmas as. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, the other thing to say about it as well is that it's made me realise that my favourite genre of film is the psycho horror. A psychological horror film. Um, Deckens is total, total psychological horror, really. Yeah. Um, I mentioned, you know, Mulholland Drive. That psychological horror. Persona is psychological horror. I, I find those films very interesting. Yeah. You, you would hate Persona. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen Mulholland Drive. I've not seen Absolutely. either. I've heard of Mulholland Drive, um, but not Persona. Um, oh, geez, you would hate Persona. <laughs> oh, yes, something I was not aware of when I suggested we do this podcast about your preferred choice of movie. <laughs> But I think having now scored uh, one of our one of our few uh, consensus scores, um, yeah. we can draw the curtain on what I would call um, the bandaged face Faustian bargain trilogy of films that we've watched, <laughs> being uh, both uh, uh, was it uh, Phantom of the Paradise, Dark Man, and now Seconds. Where we, yeah, as uh, well, it's a theme, isn't it? Where disfigured men make Faustian bargains that don't turn out well for them. <laughs> Forgotten about that, and of course, Nuns on the Run is is about um, disguise as well, identity, gender identity as well. Yeah, so there we go. <laughs> there we go. I mean, the, the others I don't know, but yeah. So yeah, okay. if, if you've yeah, once you've seen Nuns on the Run, the natural progression is to watch Seconds. Let's <laughs> <laughs> keep the lights on when you watch it, though. Yeah, yeah. Do. So there we go. So that right. We, this is the most exciting part of every single podcast. Okay. What, so... what film? Are you going to choose next? Volume 2, 2019, Ooh. Weekend at Crombie's, Episode 1. Well, what film will we go to watch? Well, um, I'm just dipping into the list of films we've made that I've made myself, so I haven't given a lot of thought about what to watch it. It's not a Christmas film, because it's January, and what can say this would make you watch... But, Tradition dictates yeah. that we don't watch Christmas yeah. films in January. Yeah, and again... Um, I'm certainly going on the, the the less cerebral side, I believe, but again, this is how we this is how we do it now. Um, so anyway, my choice for January will be Face. Uh, I've since discovered there are a lot of films called Face. So this is yeah. the 1997 directed Robert by Carlyle Robert Carlyle in it. Yes, ah. Robert Carlyle and a number of other actors we can delve into. Directed by Antonia Bird, 1997 yes. Face. I think it's worth a look. So that's okay. my choice. Not seeing it. Oh, so I've not seen always it. I, good I, stuff. Excellent. Um, yeah. Happy January. Excellent. I look forward to that. And, uh, you know, a thriller. A thriller. <laughs> anyway, so I think we're done. As we said, mm. we are going to have a very special weekend at Crombie's, the 13th episode, which I think sounds appropriately um, macabre. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> the two men talking about numbers. Two men talking about numbers. Um, so, I hope you enjoyed this. Join us for New Year's Eve, but until then, uh, I hope you enjoy your weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. I should note before we start that I have had two glasses of mulled wine. I see. And feeling quite festive. This You're evening. podcasting under the influence. <laughs> what is mulled? What is mulled? Yeah, when you mulled something, <laughs> what do you do? I would say you're quite mulled at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Just, I find, I've just wondered what, what to mull something. I mean, I know when you mull something over. Yeah. Do you do that with wine? Um, I, I don't think. I don't otherwise, th- you wouldn't have mulled wine. I, wouldn't I, you? Suppose, I don't think you force the wine to consider its its life <laughs> before you consume it. That would seem quite cruel. It would be. Yeah, it would be. That's tantamount to um, animal cruelty, isn't it? If yeah. wine was an animal. If wine was an animal. <laughs> Just the two glasses, was it? <laughs> <laughs>